This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Ruth didn't complain to Boaz about her problems, or even she didn't even ask Boaz for anything. What Ruth saw was that Boaz had taken notice of her problems, of her plight, and had comforted Ruth, and for that, she was thankful. And again, Ruth expressed her thanksgiving to Boaz when she said to him in verse 13, for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid. See, what Ruth said to Boaz in Hebrew was that Boaz had spoken to Ruth's heart. She realized that when he spoke to her, he was speaking to her heart. See, what Ruth recognized was Boaz was speaking right to her heart. Ruth in her heart, Ruth in her heart had come to trust under the wings of the Lord God of Israel. She was trusting there. That was Ruth's secret. But Boaz saw that, and Boaz said to Ruth, he knew, he knew that she had come under the wings of the Lord God of Israel to trust. And he told her that. And Ruth was saw that, oh, He's speaking to my heart. He knows what I've done in my heart. Now, the next time Boaz speaks to Ruth was in the next verse, in verse 14. Boaz said unto her, At mealtime, come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat and was sufficed and left. See, the first words that Ruth heard from Boaz was, At mealtime, come thou hither and eat. These words are absorbed in her. Ruth thought, he just said at mealtime. He said at mealtime. He cares about what happens to me at mealtime. You know, Boaz knew what happened at mealtime. Boaz knew how mealtime is an important time. That's a time of being in a warm house, a lot of talking, a lot of laughter, a lot of food. That's mealtime. And Boaz thought, what does at mealtime mean for Ruth? And he said to Ruth, at mealtime, come and eat. See, for Boaz, at mealtime was very important. 
When Boaz said at mealtime, Boaz was thinking what would happen to Ruth at mealtime. And Boaz could not stand the thought that Ruth might not have a hot meal at mealtime. Boaz could not stand the thought that Ruth might be eating in some cold corner of his field alone at mealtime as a despised Moabite. Boaz could not stand that thought. Boaz felt that cold meal that Ruth might have eaten at mealtime. Boaz felt the coldness of that corner of his field that Ruth might have to sit down and eat at at mealtime. And when Boaz said, at mealtime, come and eat, that showed compassion. That showed compassion that Boaz could feel what Ruth was feeling. See, the Lord Jesus Christ, he can feel. He has this ability. He can feel what we feel. And that's why it's important when it says in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, but without sin. Let us therefore come. Why do we come? Because he's touched with our feelings. That's what causes us to come, to find mercy and grace in time of need. See, the Lord was touched with our feelings at mealtime. When Ruth heard Boaz say, at mealtime, Ruth knew that Boaz was touched with the feelings at her mealtime. The peak times of the year for suicides in the United States is right now. It's during Thanksgiving and Christmas. Why? Because those are the consummate at mealtime in the U.S. When you expect to be surrounded by a loving family, a caring family, a table with lots of food, with lots of joy together, with lots of happiness at mealtimes in the U.S. When that's not there, when there is that expectation for that, but there's no loving, caring family at mealtimes of Thanksgiving and Christmas, then people sink into a state of depression that leads to killing themselves. Boaz knew how hard at mealtime can be for Ruth, and he felt her needs during the at mealtime. And so he said, there is no way that I'm going to allow her to feel that so alone feeling, that so cold feeling, that so without friendship feeling at mealtime. He cared about Ruth's at mealtime. That's an opportunity for us. What an opportunity for us during Christmas and Thanksgiving to go seek out those who are the Ruths around us. Where are they? Where are the ones? And to invite them into our homes. That's a great thing to do. That's how we can be like Boaz and give to them the great at mealtime invitation that he gave. You know, I have a friend who I knew as a CEO of one of the largest uh, diagnostic companies in, um, in the U.S., and he moved, he retired, and he moved to Tampa, Florida, and we, he came over to the house this last week, and we had lunch together. And so he's now attending his uh, Presbyterian church there in Tampa, Florida, and he bought church vans. And now every Sunday, his ministry is he and others drive those vans to bring the homeless to their church in Tampa, Florida. And after church, the congregation then has a meal together, and they embrace those homeless people. And those homeless people have integrated themselves within the church. And when he told me 
is how wonderful it is to sit back and look at the church and to see them sitting all over among the other members of the church. In fact, some of the homeless have actually joined the church. And what they told my friend is that, you know, there are other churches who come and pick us up and they feed us, but they don't really bring us into their fellowship. They're like, you know, here's over here and we'll, you know, you stay there, we'll feed you and then we'll take you. Okay. But see, this church and he, he was thinking about their at meal times. And to feel the at meal times of others doesn't come easily. It doesn't come easily at all. It requires an ability, an ability that's not our own. But God will give it to us. That's how a successful high priest was described. It says in, in Hebrews 5, 1 through 2, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and them that are out of the way, for that he himself is also compassed about with infirmity. See, we're called priests. We're called that chosen generation of priests. We're called royal priests, as a matter of fact, in 1 Peter 2.9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Therefore, we need to be like those who have this ability who can have compassion on the ignorant and them that are out of the way. The ignorant? Isn't that a description of a person who believes that evolution is true? That's ignorance. They're ignorant of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ made all things. How do we look at them? Do we look at them as enemies of the truth? Uh, and we want to give them our best arguments? Uh, like, you know, well, what about the second law of thermodynamics? Huh? What do you think about that? Or, you know, or where do you think all that information came from in the DNA? You know, think of that, that, did you? Mm. But what does God call us to do? God calls us to have compassion on the ignorant. Remembering we were ignorant. You know, whenever I talk to a, an evolutionist, I remember the days back at UCSD. I was an evolutionist. I would argue for evolution. I remember those days. And my, my heart goes out. I say, I believe in evolution, they say. And I put my hand on their shoulder and I say, I hope you recover. Boaz was careful in how he treated Ruth, the stranger, because he knew what God had called Israel to do in Exodus 23.9. Thou shalt not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, seeing you were strangers in the land of Egypt. See, God called Israel to consider the heart of the stranger and remember you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Isn't that interesting how God did not want Israel to forget about those terrible days in Egypt? He didn't want to, don't you forget about that. Don't you forget about how you were treated. Don't you forget about how you were a stranger. Can't we imagine an Israelite sitting down and saying, well, Egypt was such an awful experience, a simply an awful experience. What benefit did I get out of Egypt? And from Exodus 23, 9, God says, I'll tell you, Egypt was a training ground for you. It was a training, and the person would say, Egypt was my training ground. Egypt was where I learned what it was like to be a stranger, and now I can help the stranger, because I know. God called Israel to love the stranger, not to just tolerate the stranger, not to just be good to the stranger, but to love the stranger. He said in Leviticus 19.33, and if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, you shall not vex him, but the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you 
as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And then Moses told Israel also in Deuteronomy 10, 19, love ye therefore the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And if a person says, how am I supposed to do that? God said, by remembering how you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And when we encounter a stranger, God says, it's an opportunity for you. In Galatians 6.10, Galatians 6.10, it says, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So we've seen how Boaz thought of Ruth at mealtime, wanted her to have a great at mealtime, And now we consider how Boaz made this invitation to Ruth to come at mealtime and eat. So when we see this, when we see Boaz saying at mealtime, come and eat, when we see that, we just can't help but think of the great invitation that the Lord made to the lost when he said in Isaiah 1.18, come now, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they'll be as wool. See, the Lord Jesus Christ, that was a great invitation that he made. And his invitation is just to come and reason. Come and reason. You know, the word that God used for reason, yakash, is very interesting because it has the meaning of arguing or pleading like in a court. Yakash, it's a passionate word. It's not a passive word. It's a passionate word that carries the idea of a man pleading his great need. My sins are as scarlet, they're red. What am I going to do? I need forgiveness. I need cleansing. And he pleads about his problems of his sin. And then God pleads, well, look what I've done. He's pleading. He's arguing. He's like, look what I've done to forgive you. I became a man. Then I became a servant. Then I became a sufferer. Then I became a sacrifice. Then I shed my blood for you. See, for God to use that passionate word of yakach brings the question, does God get passionate? Does God get passionate with man? Like they accuse me on the, the board, the sharp board. They say, you're getting too emotional. <laughs> they say to me, you're getting too emotional. I said, somebody died, a little emotions may be in order. Anyway, does God plead or beg man? We can see that God does. He's passionate. God's passionate. He's pleading. When he said in Isaiah 5, verses 3 and 4, when he said to Isaiah 5, 3 and 4, and now... O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? He's saying, just tell me, where did I go wrong? God, this is God. And he's saying to man, what did I do wrong? What did I miss? That's passion. That's passion when God says to Israel, what could have been more? See, God lays himself open for evaluation. He said in Jeremiah 2.5, Jeremiah 2.5, Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that you have gone so far from me, and you've walked after vanity, and you've become vain? Hey, God says, would you please tell me? Remember when the Lord Jesus Christ said, he says, which of you convinceth me of sin? Same thing. He says, what iniquity? Lay it out on the table. What iniquity? Or as a matter of fact, God says he's going to plead. He's going to passionately plead. He's going to beg Israel in Micah 6.2, where it says, Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. The Lord hath a controversy with his people. He will plead 
with Israel. See, this is what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. What did he do every Sabbath? He sought out the synagogues. Where's the synagogue? Coming to a new city. What's over there? I'll I'll be there on Sabbath. What are you going to do there, Paul? Acts 17.2, Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures as his manner was. As his manner was. It means it was a practice with him. It was a habit with him, with Paul. He calls, he reasons out of the book, out of the scriptures. Reasons what? That the Lord Jesus Christ is God. That the Lord Jesus Christ is the Messiah, is the sacrifice, is the sin offering. And when Jehovah Jesus, when he became Jesus of Nazareth, we'll see him holding out his arms. He's holding out his arms to Jerusalem. He's pleading with them in Matthew 23, 37, when he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often? He says, Jerusalem, you know who I'm talking to? Thou that killest the prophets, stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, yet you would not? See, whenever we read that portion, we're just amazed, amazed to think, this is the God of the creation with a broken heart? God has a broken heart over his lost creation? He does. He does not just call once Jerusalem. He calls twice with a lament. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And by calling twice to Jerusalem, we see the real nature of God. What's God like? What's God like? What is God like? Look at the flowers. Look at the sky. What is God like? What can I learn about what God's like from that? What is God like when we see him pleading with Jerusalem? God is like not wanting to condemn anyone. God is like wanting to save everyone. God is like inviting everyone to be saved. God is like calling every lost person to himself. God is with a broken heart. And it's astounding for us to see this. We see God calling the lost. He's promising the lost that they'll be saved if they come to him. Like it says in James 4, 8, draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. How does God call? How does he call? By his messengers. By his messengers. 2 Chronicles 36, 14. 2 Chronicles 36, 14. Moreover, all the chief of the priests and people transgressed very much. After all the abominations of the heathen polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem, and the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, and they despised his words, and they misused his prophets until the wrath of God arose against his people, till there was no remedy. See, how, how are they described? Who are the ones described who God's calling? Well, they're described as they transgressed very much. How else? They mocked, they made fun of the messengers of God. How else? They despised his words. How else? They misused or abused his prophets. See, what does God say he's going to do to those, to those people? Well, send them more messengers. And what did the messengers do when they sent them? Romans 10, 15, how shall they preach? Except they're sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings. See, he sent them to preach. Well, how did they preach? Rising up betimes, this time, that time. And then God says, you know what? I'm going to go to my place and wait till they repent. I'll wait it out. 
in Hosea 5.15, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they shall seek me early. So he goes. He goes to his place. God does. He waits. And then we see he can't wait any longer. And so he rises up, and he says in Hosea 6.4, O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is like a morning cloud in your early dew. It goeth away. He goes to his place and he returns. And he says, how about now? Is it ready? Are you ready now? How about now? Are you ready to be saved now? And then he sends out summer blitzers across the country. And what do they do? They keep stretching out their arms. And they get eggs thrown at them. They get water thrown at them. They get cars that try to chase them down. And they get a revolver or two that are pulled on them. Apart from that, it's fine. If God's Jewish people kept doing that against God, and his messengers, why did God keep sending messengers and keep calling them? Because he had compassion on his people. He had compassion on his people. So we see the compassion, the compassion that he had is to send messengers. The compassion that Boaz had to Ruth is the at mealtime compassion. And then what do we see? Dining table in Ruth, all set. There was an order of importance. Who sat where? Determined your importance. First, at the head of the table, of course, Boaz sits. Next to him come the reapers, then come the maidens. But we see in verse 14, it says where Ruth sat, because it says she sat beside the reapers, not after, beside the reapers, and Boaz had arranged that Ruth would sit right next to the reapers in a place of prominence before his maidens, this reminds me again of my friend in Tampa who picks up those homeless people for their church service and, and then he seats the homeless among the congregation there, all intermixed. And this is, this is what we see Boaz doing here for Ruth. She's not seated as a stranger over in the stranger's corner by herself being fed, isolated from the group like the Egyptians could not eat with the Jewish people because they're an abomination. But Boaz had seated the stranger Ruth right there beside the reapers and we get an idea of where Ruth was seated by what it says further in Ruth 2.14, he reached her parched corn. See, he reached. We understand that Ruth was sitting within reaching distance of Boaz. She was seated so very close to Boaz that he could pass the parched corn to her himself. As a matter of fact, we can see how Boaz really looked forward to this mealtime. He looked forward to eating with Ruth. He looked forward to serving Ruth. He passed, he served her. And when we see Boaz speaking to Ruth in the first part, verse 14, about how he's looking forward to the at mealtime, come and eat, and when we see Boaz serving her, we see the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the Lord Jesus Christ looking forward to eating with his disciples, as he said in Luke 22, 15. In Luke 22, 15, he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not anymore eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took the cup, gave thanks, said, take this, divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread, gave thanks, break it, gave it unto them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup, it's the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.